Welcome back to the Going Coastal Podcast, the podcast of the Students and New Professionals chapter of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association and hosted by the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I'm one of your co-hosts, John Miller. And I'm one of your other co-hosts, Deb Fernandez. For this month's episode, we're going to be bringing you a preview of the 2023 ASBPA National Coastal Conference being held next month in Providence, Rhode Island. Fortunately, we have joining us today uh, conference co-chairs, Brian Caulfield, Coastal Systems Resilience Discipline Lead at CDM Smith and an ASBPA board member, Maura Boswell, Senior Coastal Engineer with ATM and President of the Mid-Atlantic Chapter of ASBPA, and Lee Wisher, a Senior Scientist with the Woods Hole Group and longtime ASBPA board member. So we like to keep things loose um, and we get to know our guests a little bit with the first question. So very broad-based question where we just ask you to introduce yourself um, tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got where you are, what your profession is, really anything that you'd like to tell us about yourselves uh, before we get into the really hard questions. Uh, so maybe we'll just go in the order that uh, I introduced you. So maybe, Brian, you take a first stab at that question. Sure. So as you mentioned, John, I'm Brian Caulfield. I'm a Coastal Systems Discipline Lead for CDM Smith. I'm based out of our Boston office in Massachusetts, but I call Cape Cod home. Uh, I got into the coastal profession through uh, playing sports in college. So I played on the water polo club team at Purdue, and our coach happened to be the physical oceanography professor who also taught coastal engineering courses at Purdue. And so spending time with him on the weekends, traveling to different schools and playing water polo, then realized that coastal engineering was the field I wanted to get into. And so I, I took that leap and uh, I've not looked back. I'm, uh, you know, I'm an oddity in coastal engineering is I'm Great Lakes trained. So I'd done work on Lakes Michigan, Superior and Lake St. Clair. I didn't have to deal with tides until I got into the actual working profession and, you know, realized I had to be looking at these, these things called tides. Uh, and then uh, been kind of continuing that process now. I've been in the field for just about 20 years after leaving academia and continue to uh, work in that profession right now. Wow, that's that's really just one of the more unique uh, stories that we've heard about how somebody came to coastal or ocean engineering. And But it honestly fits the theme that we do hear quite a lot about coastal engineering having sort of this lack of uh, visibility, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a niche profession that... Um, you know, is not advertised or marketed well. So that's what we're trying to do partially with this podcast is bring more people into the fold and hopefully have a, a next generation of coastal engineers and scientists. All right. Um, what about you, Moore? Same questions. Um, what's your current employment position and how did you get involved in a coastal field? So uh, my name is Maura Boswell, and I'm a senior coastal engineer with ATM, a geosyntech company. And right now I work remotely from my home in New Hampshire, um, I'm, I grew up in the Mid-Atlantic. I was born in D.C., raised in Maryland, and spent my summers at the beach in Delaware, which is how I became a coastal engineer, because the very first um, project, um, beach nourishment project in Bethany Beach, Delaware, which was actually one, one of our uh, former executive director and president, Tony Pratt's um, first project when he worked for the state of Delaware, was the beach nourishment on um, Bethany Beach. And I thought it was the coolest thing. I was about seven, eight years old, and I was like, wait a second, you can design a beach as a job. Um, and so I decided then and there that I wanted to be a coastal engineer. And I was fortunate that um, my dad's a civil engineer. And so he figured out what kind of engineering um, made beaches. 
And so he helped me navigate that as I was looking at undergrad um, and did ocean engineering, then coastal engineering, and then started into the the workforce. And and while I was working as a coastal engineer in Norfolk, Virginia, I um, got to do a lot of cool work on living shorelines. And so I decided to go back for my doctorate um, as an older adult. Um, and just finally recently finished that before getting back into the field of consulting. Um, so I really like kind of where our field has gone, um, kind of becoming a little bit more multidisciplinary, um, not just engineers or scientists, where you get to actually learn a lot um, about different types of shoreline protection um, and get to work with a lot of different types of people. Um, it's been a great learning experience um, for me. Wow, that's impressive. So you've known what you wanted to do since you were seven or eight <laughs> years old, basically. One of the few people that still can say, hey, I know what I want to be when I grow up and did it. Wow, that's really impressive. And so the engineers run in the family. Yeah, I'm third generation. <laughs> My grandfather was an aerospace engineer. Oh, wow. Really impressive. And congratulations for um, starting your doctorate. Oh, I finished it. Going back to it. Took a long time. Oh, well, well done. <laughs> That's impressive. It takes quite some courage. So Moore and I were actually grad yeah. school colleagues at University of Florida. Ooh. So I took the more yeah. direct route and went bachelor's to master's <laughs> to PhD. And Mora took a less direct route, but ultimately ended up in a similar place, which is great because we always like to emphasize that there's no one right way to do this, right? There's no one one path. So Morris was a little bit different, but also ended up with her PhD in coastal engineering and, you know, and is now back in consulting. So yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. This field is really small, right? As you were saying before, everybody <laughs> knows everybody. Yeah. Everybody knows everybody. So um, with that, uh, speaking of everybody knowing everybody, I think everybody at ASBPA knows Lee. Uh, I think Lee's been involved with ASBPA for quite some time. Maybe I'll let him tell us how long he's been involved in ASBPA, but um, Lee, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into ASBPA and perhaps how you found Coastal. Well, I can truly say that I did not know what I wanted to do when I was growing up. <clears throat> so I went to school as a classic engineer and like Brian ended up uh, working on the, the Great Lakes And then uh, after that, I joined the uh, coast. I was a coastal engineer at the Waterways Experiment Stations uh, Coastal Engineering Research Center, which was CERC at that time, located in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And it's changed names at least three times. And I think it might be called Coastal Hydraulics Lab now. Um, and while there, I worked on beach nourishment projects and headed the Tidal Inlets Research Program. I left CERC after a number of years and moved to New England uh, to the Woods Hole Group. And there I was a senior scientist and vice president overseeing the Coastal Group. And while at Woods Hole Group, I worked on beach restoration, coastal rehabilitation projects. And I also began my journey to become a wetlands ecologist. Now that's kind of a, a leap, I think, but my coastal engineering friends used to rib me and saying, well, you're starting down the path to the dark side. And my coastal ecologist friends and wetlands ecologist friends would say, well, you're beginning your journey to the enlightenment. <laughs> so it just kind of goes to show you cannot please everyone. So 
At ASVPA, I'm a, a board member, a member of the ASVPA Executive Committee, a vice president, co-chair of the Best Restored uh, Beaches Committee, uh, co-chair of the Technical Research Papers Committee for the conference, and also a, a co-chair for this year's ASVPA Technical Conference in Providence, Rhode Island. And that's probably a lot more than you ever wanted to know about me, but you did ask. So <laughs> thank you for giving me that opportunity. Yeah, Lee stays busy. <laughs> See, that's the problem is if you if you if you show that you're really good at something and you're interested, you just keep getting more and more stuff. <laughs> uh, wow. So, I mean, that was that was a great actually uh, segue or intro into um, the conference. I mean, the, the reason that you're, you're all here is because you're co-chairs um, of the conference. So. Let's talk a little bit about specifically about the uh, the conference this year. It's, it's as we've said, it's located in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, the dates, I believe, are October is it tenth through twelfth or thirteenth? Does that sound right? Something like that. Yes, I think that's correct. And uh, the theme this year is anchors away revolutionary times for coastal habitats. So that ties right in with the living shorelines and the coastal ecology that uh, that Lee just spoke about. So uh, why don't we uh, why don't we why don't we go back to Lee and 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 since you brought up coastal ecology, talk maybe a little bit about the conference theme and and how it was chosen and uh, what it means. Well, we can thank uh, Brian Caulfield for coming up with that. Uh, actually, uh, he was the one that generated that. Um, conference logo and uh, the theme. So as much as I'd like to take claim of that, I can't really do that. Um, this year's conference is really going to be something spectacular. I think it's going to be one of the be best conferences we've ever had. And uh, since I was at, uh, you know, co-chair of the technical papers, I can talk a little bit about what we're going to feature this year. You know, we had 198 abstracts that were submitted, including dedicated sessions, individual presentations, and lightning talks. And this year, there will be sessions dedicated to beach management, challenges of managing coastal infrastructure, beach restoration, regional sediment management. And additionally, we'll have sessions that cover doom processes, coastal resiliency, numerical modeling, uh, ecosystem restoration, estuarine response to sea level rise. And there's also going to be a dedicated session to addressing and managing everyday king tide flooding in our cities and towns, which is becoming a more and more uh, prevalent problem, especially in you know some of the coastal cities down on the Gulf Coast and uh, on the uh, uh, east coast of Florida. Yeah, well, you're we trying to figure out some great ideas to have for coming to New England for the first time. And, you know, we thought we'd try to play on the idea of going to one of the states that was, you know, helped to establish who we are as a country and trying to look at them, that idea of us being revolutionary. And so we thought it'd be a great idea to, to pull that in. And then we really thought about how we wanted to expand, you know, the topic areas in which we're talking about, which, you know, Lee did a great job of, of discussing. And, you know, I think one of the important things to, to think of is that we've actually got um, seven tracks running over the course of uh, Thursday. So it's going to be a pretty uh, packed fill uh, opportunities for all of our attendees to come in and, and learn. 
and listen about uh, different op- uh, ideas and topics that are of interest to them. You know, and we're also looking at our plenary right now and developing a, a pretty good opportunity. We've invited some elected officials. Uh, we're probably going to have uh, members from the North Atlantic Division present. Uh, we're also looking to have uh, someone present from uh, NOAA's National Weather Center uh, from the Boston office, who just kind of has a, a unique historical background on hurricanes in New England. It's something that's just been of interest to him and things he's uh, covered through time. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're since we're bringing the uh, association out here for the first time ever, we want to make sure that it's memorable for everybody and hope that they find opportunities to come back. Yeah, that program seems really full and super interesting. And with the topic coastal ecology and biology, you also propose um, short courses, right? There's like a little workshop or something about this during the conference. Yeah, there's plans for uh, two short courses, actually. We're going to have one short course on uh, sustainable beach tourism, uh, and that's around the Blue Flag program that ASBPA is the USA uh, member for. And then uh, the Coastal Zone Foundation, which is actually one of the other organizations that Lee left off his long list of things that he's part of, uh, they'll be hosting the Coastal Ecology and Biology short course. And those are both on Tuesday. That's great. Super, super cool. So it's going to be a bit more like interactive, um, but also the attendees and the presenters. So that's really cool. And um, as a reminder for our listeners, uh, the Blue Flag Award, we talked about it in our previous episode. So if you want to know more, listen to that one. So so as as you mentioned, this is the first time that the uh, conference is actually heading up to Rhode Island. Um, so, you know, as, as somebody who's a veteran of many of these conferences and from New Jersey, and I always look forward to going somewhere warm in October, right. As the weather starting to change here, somebody needs to convince me, why do I want to go North for an ASBPA conference? So more, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a shot at that since you're, you mentioned you're from the mid Atlantic, but now you, you live up there. So what's, What's so great about Providence in October? So I was really excited when they said we were going to Rhode Island. I know there was some hesitancy about coming up to New England in the past because you get some different coastlines, a lot rockier coastlines. So it's not what you think of as the traditional ASBPA coastal National Coastal Conference um, beach area. But having lived in Newport, Rhode Island for a year, um, a few years ago, I was super excited to go to Rhode Island because it's such a great state, even though like it's the smallest state there is, it's the ocean state for a reason. So we're going to Providence, great riverine setting, um, but so close to um, things like Newport, um, where you get the Cliff Walk and Satuest um, National Wildlife Refuge. So a lot of good areas to see different types of coastlines for coastal engineers. Um, a lot of, as Brian and Lee mentioned, history in the area. Um, back to revolutionary times, back to the Gilded Age uh, with the the mansions, a lot of sailing and boating. So there's a lot of really cool different types of water-based activities and coastal um, shorelines for everyone to see and go visit while while they're here. Also, New England in the fall is great for leaf peeping. So you'll be able to see some nice changing leaves Um, which not everyone else in other parts of the country gets to see. So it's a really great opportunity to see so many different 
kinds of environments in one tiny little state. And it's the home of Dunkin' Donuts as well. Which you can't, you can't pass up. <laughs> Maura mentioned leaf peeping. So this year, leaf peeping is going to be probably near the peak of our, at our conference because of the fact that New England's been so wet this year. And so they're forecasting that the, you know, the leaf turning is going to be later this year than it traditionally is. And that's, of course, if we don't get a hard freeze along the line here. But for those of those people who haven't seen the leaves turned in New England, it is quite spectacular. Yeah, it was, uh, I was. I asked the question somewhat facetiously because you know, I, I, I enjoy when it's, uh, the conferences are um, in different places. And, and Rhode Island is a beautiful, is a, is a, is a very beautiful state, as, uh, as Maura pointed out. And there's lots to, lots to do. So we certainly hope that uh, ASBPA members take advantage of the, uh, of the great location this year and, uh, and, and head up to, uh, to Providence. One of the things that, um, we kind of like to ask our guests as well is, um, you know, so people that are maybe on the fence about attending, what's the thing that's going to push them over the edge? Um, we've already heard about the great program. We've heard about the location. Um, you know, when, when you're sitting around, maybe when you're sitting around, Brian, when you're making a decision about which conferences to attend, what are some of the reasons that you specifically seek out ASBPA conferences and attend those conferences? So I think it's probably a perfect story for me to tell uh, is that, so the first conference, ASBPA conference I ever went to was in 1996. And I think it was one of the first conferences ever held on the Great Lakes. It was held in Chicago. I was the grad student and my job was to actually sit there and flip the overheads for the presenters. So, you know, it was before PowerPoint, it was just the overhead projector with the light beneath, everyone had their acetate pages and I would just sit there and put the next acetate page up for them as they would say, next, next slide. So that was the first time I ever went to a conference and I got to meet a lot of people uh, as part of that conference. And I began to realize that the opportunities to just engage with other people is really what our community is all about. Uh, you know, we joked about how we are a small community, but the best part is we're also all friends with one another. So I continue to look at going to ASBPA conferences as an opportunity to, you know, meet students and, you know, act and hear what they're trying to do and act as mentors to them and help them figure out like how they want to go out in into the working world. And at the same time, I'm there to, you know, hear what people are doing and see how I can bring that back to my job on a daily basis and incorporate that into, you know, deliverables that we're trying to do. So I definitely find that that, you know, I, I choose ASBPA one because of it's really just the size of how small it is and how friendly we are with one another and how great it is to be able to you know network at these at these conferences. So I would second what what Brian said about the great networking opportunity to attend when you attend an ASPPA um, National Coastal Conference. I know John, you and I have discussed a lot of um, Living Shoreline research and work and stuff that you know hasn't been published yet. But we've had those great conversations offline. I've talked to you. I've talked to Laura, um, Brett Webb down at South Alabama. A lot of different people um, doing similar research, but you know it hasn't quite gotten out to the level of presenting it and publishing it. And so you still get those relationships where you can 
can talk to people, talk through some issues you might be having in data post-processing or um, things to look at and sharing um, data. I know with other consultants, um, I've done that as well. You know, we've shared between research and what we're looking at. And I think that's a great opportunity for students and, um, you know, seasoned members to get that benefit out of the conference. I was actually, I was going to be one of the questions I was going to specifically ask was, I was going to say somebody convinced Deb as a student how how to why should she attend uh, the conference? But you did a, you did a great job of answering the question before I actually asked it. I mean that that um, interaction, the data sharing, um, the conversations, the offline stuff. Um, that's exactly the reason. But I have another kind of related question to that, um, and this comes off of a conversation that I had with uh, Nicole Elko recently about. Um, academics uh, and academics, specifically professors, uh, getting involved at these conferences. So um, I don't know if one of you has a better sense or maybe all of you can give it a shot, but uh, convince me as a professor why I want to attend and why I want to attend, why I want my students to attend ASBPA. Well, I can take a first shot at that. Um, We have over the years grown our student poster presentations. And it's a chance to interact with the students. And we try and encourage academics to have their students present either their, the research that they're working on or um, their thesis work. And it's an opportunity for them to interact with you know, the senior people in the field and, and often the junior people in the field also. It's a great networking opportunity for them to, you know, look beyond uh, their graduate work or postgraduate work to, you know, see about what it is they might want to do when they grow up, so to speak. So, you know, once you look at getting your degree and then looking to go out into the job market, it's always nice to have some people that you've networked with to be able to say, hey, have you got a job? You know, have you heard of one? What's going on? And a lot of that happens uh, during the conference. And even if you're not presenting a poster, um, you know, as Brian said and Maura said, you know, it's really a friendly group of people and people coming up and asking questions. You know, you sit down and, and talk to them, especially the younger younger folks, because of the fact that not only is it great to, you know, mentor them, answer their questions, bring them along, but they're the future of our field. So, you know, I think most everybody at the conference understands that and wants to encourage, you know, the, the students uh, any way they can. Yeah, and I can agree with that because... I was at ASBPA last year, was my first ASBPA, and I presented a poster, and people came to me, and they were asking me questions that I actually never thought of. So it was also a great way to, like, see my project in another, like, from another point of view, and it was amazing to network. I mean, it got me where I am today. I'm here doing a podcast. So I think it's it's an amazing um, opportunity for students, as you said, Lee. Like, it's really incredible. And yeah, more you got me convinced. I'll come back this year. <laughs> I, I would say that that it's also having been, you know, a member and a student again, um, and attending different conferences as a student, that ASBPA has a very welcoming 
um, membership compared to some other conferences I've been to where people are um, not as welcoming and not as forthcoming with how to improve your research in a constructive way. Um, so I think that's, um, that, like you said, there's a lot of good feedback of, hey, have you thought about looking at it this way um, versus somebody just really trying to kind of take the red pen to your, to your research. So I think having that welcoming, um, you know, supportive environment to improve research and, and your um, future endeavors is really important. Yeah, I'm convinced as well. Um, I, you know, I, I've, I, I would encourage other um, academics out there that are listening uh, for all the same reasons that have, have been brought up. Uh, my personal first experience was, well, depends on how you look at it. I went to a Northeast Shore and Beach uh, conference, which was actually held out at, uh, up in Massachusetts, um, at Woods Hole. Um, that was, I think my, technically my first, but I guess my first big national conference was an ASBPA conference. Um, and, uh, you know, that, uh, welcoming nature, um, of everybody at the conference, um, uh, was certainly a great, uh, way to break into what, let's face it, can often be a quite intimidating, uh, uh, environment for, for a student. So, uh, I think, um, I think the people, I think the, uh, technical presentations, the social interactions, groups like the student and new professionals chapter, um, all of the above are part of what, uh, makes, uh, ASBPA conferences in particular, in my mind, a very valuable experience for students. Um, and even for myself as an academic, I always enjoy the conversations, with other students, potentially recruiting PhD students to come work for me, um, but also finding out about what's going on at other uh, universities. So I think it's definitely a very worthwhile uh, experience uh, on the academic side. John, I also think something that's important to think on is the fact that we as an association also encourage the involvement of the academics to participate with us in these conferences. So. You know, if you think back to the last few years, you know, Nick Brown, who has just recently, you know, completed his degree, he's been helping with uh, awards committee work. And then we also have a volunteer coordinator. And that person comes from, you know, it's one of the academics, it's one of the, the students, one of the student and new professionals chapter members. And so, you know, they're getting an opportunity to, you know, actually see how, an organization puts together a conference and they get to see that kind of from the ground up. And, and, you know, we, as the co-chairs, you know, we listen to what they're saying and we encourage them to speak and, and, and provide us the ideas, you know, it's, these aren't full-time jobs we're all volunteers. And so having that volunteerism from our, our, uh, you know, the academics, I think, you know, the students uh, specifically is, is another opportunity that just, I don't think it's often offered, you know, outside of, you know, our our size of an organization. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. And I've had, I know many of my students in the past, and I think potentially one this year um, have volunteered, uh, you know, and you can volunteer, I'm sure you can volunteer sort of formally or even informally. There's always stuff that needs to get done when you're running a conference, right? Um, it's a great way to interact and meet people. It kind of forces a little bit of interaction for those of you who might be a little bit shy. So um, great opportunities um, there through the volunteerism uh, as well. We talked about the academic side, the student side. 
so from a, a consulting uh, engineering point of view, you know, what are the real values that you get out of ASBPA uh, National Conference? And I don't know, maybe Brian, do you want to answer that? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me as a professional being there, it's, you know, it, I think I've kind of said about already, it's the networking, it's the ability, you know, to, to meet with colleagues in my you know, career field, hear how they're doing work that is of interest to me, thinking how I can apply that to, you know, projects that I have in-house right now. You find the similarities in our work and, and think of this, how, you know, we can continue to advance that. And then, you know, it's also the opportunities to meet the 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 potential replacements are you know the students the ac- those who are looking for jobs and think of what is out there um, what do we have to offer them and and I think like when you go to these conferences you have to act also as a, a mentor so you you know it's like you know that the the students are looking to hear how did you get into this how did you become part of this you know what got you interested in doing this and you know having those you know sidebar conversations, you know, they're off the cuff, you know, like grabbing a drink with somebody, whether it's a coffee in the morning or, or just, you know, during one of those breaks, like stepping aside and, and talking to somebody and, and, and helping them through kind of the problem that's facing them at, at that point. So I kind of, I kind of loaded, I kind of loaded the question up and I was hoping that you were going to go that uh, sort of uh, rec- almost recruiting um, direction where you would talk about the next generation of students. One of my students many, many years ago, I remember came back from an ASBPA conference and she's like, oh, you know, I talked to somebody who works for a consulting company. I think it was SEA uh, Engineering. And so she's like, yeah, I think I might end up working for the summer in Hawaii. Um, they, you know, reached out. We had a nice conversation. Uh, they offered me a summer job. Uh, and I was like, I was so impressed because the student actually was an undergraduate at the time that she she attended the conference and then had this conversation. But you know, certainly speaks to, you know, the power of networking, right? To, to be able to, as an undergraduate, talk yourself into a summer job in Hawaii. Like who wouldn't like that? That's, that's like, that's, that was just awesome. So it's crazy. Um, one of the things um, that we would like to get a little bit of feedback because our, our audience is, um, again, you know, leans towards the student and new professionals. Um, is any particular um, advice that you might have for, you know, those prospective replacements, as you said, Brian, you know, um, what can students and new professionals be doing? What should they be doing before they get to the conference, after they get to the conference? So maybe, uh, maybe I'll talk, maybe uh, we'll give Maura and then uh, maybe Lee a chance to, to answer that question. I think that's a, a great question to talk about what to do before the conference. And now that we have the um, Whova app that we're using, some of the the um, ways to utilize that app, I think, to connect with people beforehand or start looking for people who might share simple, similar interests, see what talks you want to go see, and then maybe also set aside some time to talk to that person who's doing similar research or has a career path you are interested in learning more about. Um, so kind of making sure you're doing almost a little legwork to pre-network um, to really see who you might want to meet while you're there. Um, and then just talking to people, going up to um, 
people and saying, hey, I saw your name. I'm interested in this. Because um, that's one of the things about this conference and this group of people, I think, is, as we've talked about, the welcoming um, nature and for networking. And as Brian pointed out, it's it's a good way to um, get that introduction and learn about the different um, career paths you can take. And a lot of the um, more seasoned, I won't say older, but more seasoned professionals like that aspect of mentoring. Um, so that's a, a two-way street. So looking for a mentor at the conference is a, a good path to follow. All right. Lee, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think what you know, Maura said was right on target. And um, I would encourage you know, students and new conference attendees to, uh, as I said, uh, as Maura said, actually, to use the Whove app, look at the look at the presentations, and then go up and ask questions. I mean, you know, the, the kind of old adage is the only stupid question is the one that's not asked, and everyone will be receptive of this of questions. And um, I would not hesitate to do that. Introduce yourself you know, and say, hey, I have a question, whether it be about the technical presentation or uh, about, you know, their job or where they're from, people will talk to you. And, you know, you, you just can't be shy. You have to go up and say, hey, what's going on? Uh, the poster session is a good avenue for that, too, because everybody will be walking around. Uh, the uh, Breaks are also another good opportunity to do that. And if you have somebody that you think you want to talk to um, and you can't seem to find them, then grab somebody that looks a little older <laughs> and tug on their arm and say, hey, have you seen so-and-so? Like, have you seen John Miller around? Uh, you know, you know, and he'll... Uh, yeah, they will point you in the right direction. Yeah, I think I think that's great advice. Uh, you know, be bold is kind of the, the 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 way that I would I would I would put it. And I say that you know, as somebody who this is the Marissa and I talk about this as an as an introvert. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily come that. Hey, I'm an introvert that hosts a podcast. That sounds kind of funny, right? And Marissa Marissa is as well. We talk about this, but yeah, just finding that. Um, that moment of courage to, you know, talk to, talk to somebody. Um, again, you know, the, the, the group at ASBPA tends to be very friendly. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to ask my co-host um, her advice, because as somebody who's, who's young and who's just been through it recently, um, if she has anything to add. Well, I'll jump on what um, Lee said. And it's super true. Like it's so easy to go to people like you said, John, that we should be bold, but at the same time, it's not hard to be bold because people are so welcoming. And I just arrived in America. Like I was there, like I came back, I, I arrived, sorry, um, two years ago, and I didn't know anything about the coastal engineering field. And I just arrived there and everybody knew each other. And I was like, whoa, what is this world? And in the end, I was able to talk to everybody and everybody was so welcoming and the conversations were easy and I was able to network a lot. Like my network started at ASBPA, literally. And so I feel like, yes, be bold, but it's not that hard. Like it's super, super easy. Everything is made 
for you to be able to talk to the people with the different, like, as you said, Lee, the, the, um, the breaks or the poster sessions, the poster sessions were a great, great, op- was a great, great opportunity for me to just having conversation about my project with people that I didn't know. And they had like this amazing expertise on different um, fields and they just had like great advice. Like it was constructive advice to give me. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to going back there again, honestly. John, I would like to say something. So especially your comment on introvert, introverted people kind of struck a chord actually. So, I mean, if, if a young person attending the conference feels shy or is apprehensive about going up and talking to a presenter, almost always there's three or four people after a presentation or after, you know, the session is ended, will be standing around talking to the presenters and just go up and stand in the crowd. And basically when I was presenting and I would see somebody kind of looking like they were a deer in the headlights, so to speak, I'd always say, hey, what's your name? What's going on? You know, you have any questions? And most presenters will do that. I mean, they'll, they'll take that extra step to kind of draw out a question. And so, um, you know, don't be shy about walking up and, you know, you don't necessarily have to muster the courage to say the first word all the time. That's a great point, and I've done that. I've done that as well. You, 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 as a presenter, you can you can facilitate that by by just being observant, right? And I've I've definitely reached out to people that I knew I could tell wanted to ask, ask a question, but just didn't have the courage to do it. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a good point. So I'm going to ask a fun question, maybe short fun question of everybody, and then maybe follow up with one more before we uh, we close. So the, the fun question is most interesting person that you've ever met at a conference. And I'm going to, I'll start with Maura and then we'll go Maura, Brian, and then Lee. So I'll give the others a chance to think for a minute, but I'll put you on the spot, Maura. Ouch. Putting me on the spot. (laughs) Hey, it could be, it doesn't have to be that. Maura, I can, I can go first. Uh, I've got one and you can think. Please do. (laughs) So, um, I met, the individual who had developed the methodology I was applying as part of my master's research. So I was sitting at a, uh, a conference in a chair. Uh, this individual sat down across from me. The, the name tag was turned around, so I couldn't see their name. I'm very much like you, John. I'm, I'm an introvert. Um, and so, but I just started talking with him in a, he asked me, you know, what was I doing there? And I told him how I was doing this research. I was doing an even odd analysis, explained the whole process and procedures. And then he goes, oh, that sounds really great. And then he turns his name tag around and there he was, the guy who had developed the methodology. Is that the whole time I'd been talking about his reports from the University of Florida and, and how this is what I was following and this is what I was going to do. And um, so to like have an off-the-cuff conversation with the de- the developer of the methodology I'd employed was uh, to me, that was the most interesting because it's here's a guy who knows more about it than I ever thought of. And I'm trying to explain it to him. And, you know, and he sat there and listened to my entire conversation. And then he revealed to me through the name tag that he was the developer of that method. Yeah. It sounds, uh, it sounds like somebody I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I can, I can give more a, a little break here. So 
I have two people. One is Per Brune and the other is uh, Orville Magoon. And I met Per Brune and probably most of the people, I'd say almost all the people don't have any idea who Per Brune is. But um, I was a undergraduate, or actually I was working my master's and uh, presenting at this conference. And this crusty old white-haired guy starts asking me questions. And it's like, where is this guy coming from? I, you know, I answered him and, you know, and there are a couple, quite a few actually said, that's a really good question. I have no idea, <laughs> but I'll look into it. And then uh, I went and sat down and then uh, another person got up and this gentleman asked some questions and the guy tried to BS his way out of it and he just shredded this guy. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. And afterwards, Per Brun came up and patted me on the shoulder and said, good work. I always, I love it when somebody says, you know, I really don't know. And then Orville was another one who did uh, put on the Coastal Zone conferences. And uh, they were something to behold. And he was always welcoming and opening, open and uh, would talk to you and... You know, Gwinnick, Gwinnick Vineyards was always featured heavily at also uh, <laughs> so yep. conferences, and that was always fun. Anyway, that's that's my story. So, Lee, uh, kind of going off that, um, my my story is from when John and I were back at University of Florida, and it was Bob Dean's retirement conference, and I do remember the uh, little rhyme that somebody said, hickory dickory dock, the wine is from Gwinnock. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking 20 years ago, but I was, you know, that's from back when, when John and I were back there and, and I student was a student volunteer at that conference. So another plug for volunteering at these conferences, I thought it was the coolest thing that I got to um, check in all of these like giants in the field of coastal engineering. I'm like, I have your book. I have your book. I studied your paper. And to me, it was just kind of like a celebrity rush. And I remember saying to my advisor's wife, who was who was helping the students, I was like, is this what like normal people feel like when they meet celebrities? Because it was just really cool to see all these like really um, awesome coastal engineers who'd really founded our field um, and really had made such great strides in it. Yeah, I think I think conferences are, are are a great opportunity to to personalize the names that you've read in the book or the people that you've learned about these you know amazingly complex theories or maybe simple theories. But the, you said the giants of the field um, conferences, you know, kind of bring everybody back down to earth, and you realize that you know these amazing people are actually amazing people. It's not just they're not they just don't have academic brains. They have all these other interests and. Orville is a great example, right? I don't think you'll find somebody that had a more unique um, career uh, uh, than Orville. So you, you learn about these stories. Um, and I think, you know, for me personally, it helps to, um, you know, it, it helps you to overcome the barriers or break them down when you, when you uh, recognize that, you know, these are people too, and they have, you know, families and interests, and you might share a common interest in water polo, for example, with Brian. And, you know, you'd never know unless you listen to this podcast or if you uh, if you meet Brian at a, at a conference. So that, that's kind of great. 
Um, I'm going to ask one final question. I'm going to ask it to Brian. You're the, you're the lucky one. Um, if you had one piece of advice to give to a student just kind of bringing, starting out in the coastal field, um, not necessarily conference related, but how do you succeed? How, what, what would you, what advice would you give? I definitely think it's the the theme you've already said. It's it's be bold, and it's not just even in the in the conference world where you're coming out and you're you know trying to approach people or, or learn about the topics. But I think it's just it's you know wanting to read and you know gather all this information and absorb it. It's you want to learn about all this that you can, and and there's always these opportunities that are out there. There's always a, another topic that you can learn more about. Uh, there's, you know, it's it's true. You know, you, you can teach a dog, an old dog, new tricks. You know, it's like it's. I think the same is true for coastal engineers, where there's always something new out there that we're interested in, and uh, I think that's what kind of makes these opportunities as a student great. It's you're not just stuck in in one kind of niche, even though we are a niche area of coastal engineering, there's still, whether you want to do tides or currents or living shorelines or, or big rock structures or concrete walls or, you know, marsh restoration projects where you're looking at like small uh, grain sizes. Like, I think it's, there's just so much out there and so many opportunities for us that, you know, it's like always be looking and trying to be bold and, and find those new opportunities. That was great. That was a great piece of final advice. Just wanted a couple of, uh, of announcements as we wrap up the episode. Uh, thank you to our guests for valuable insight and in selling us all on the National Coastal Conference. Again, that's being held next month, uh, October uh, 10th through 13th in Providence, Rhode Island. So if you haven't signed up yet, I think by the time this airs, you'll have a couple of days to get in for the, not the early bird discount, but the middle discount. Uh, and you'll have a few days, I think, to still sign up for the, the hotel uh, block reservation. I think September 15th is the deadline. If you are planning to attend the conference, uh, Marissa and myself, and I believe Deb, yes, no, maybe. Uh, yes. Yes, I'll we'll all be there. So uh, feel free to introduce yourself. We'd love to um, tell us that we suck or tell us that we're great or to like to find out more about how, what you think about going coastal topics for future episodes. We'd love to hear you guys. The Student and New Professionals chapter, I want to put in a plug for their mentorship uh, program. The Student and New Professionals chapter has this mentorship program. I'm a mentor. I have a mentee. It's one of our former uh, guests. Um, I found it extremely valuable from my perspective, and hopefully my mentee is also finding it valuable. If you're interested in joining the uh, mentorship program, you can reach out to the Student and New Professionals chapter at asbpa.smp at gmail. Dot com And again, I would highly encourage it for professionals, for, cons for consultants, for academics as well. Um, and then finally, um, if you're enjoying what you're hearing on Going Coastal uh, and you really want to get more involved and be more supportive, um, you can be seen and heard where it matters. You can share your story in Top Coastal and Ocean Podcast and on Coastal News Today. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, reach out to Tyler Buckingham at tyler at coastalnewstoday.com or go to coastalnewstoday.com backslash advertising. Thank you again and look forward to talking to you next month.